the sounds of Betamax on In Love With The Process. Hey everybody, I'm Mike Pecci. I am the host of this podcast. Just checking in with you guys at the end of the week. Wanted to do a short little episode uh, because it has been an absolutely amazing week here at the show. For some reason, and we have yet to figure out why, we have had our largest numbers ever. So I don't know what it is. And there is a, a whole new group of folks that are listening to this show and not just listening to one specific episode. I thought for a fraction of a second, like maybe we did really well with an episode. Maybe one of these new episodes, everybody's been writing to us saying that they're great. Maybe one of these cracked the code and went out there. But it isn't that, man. There's a huge group of people that are going and listening to the entire run of the show from season, from episode one, season one to now. And I've been looking and watching the numbers online and they have been consistently three to four times more than we've ever had on the show. Uh, I'm checking in with it right now. Yeah, still high, still high. And this is uh, Wednesday, the third. What is going on? I am uh, uh, basically uh, talking to you guys directly because I know a lot of you listeners that are new, that's part of the group, is listening right now. Where'd you come from? <laughs> How'd you hear about the show? Did somebody post about it somewhere? Are we on a list somewhere? Where did it come from? Head on over to Instagram and follow me at Mike Petchy on Instagram and leave me a note. Let me know how you found us. How'd you get here? There's a huge group of folks from Canada listening to the show. A massive group from Canada. So something happened up north. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Somebody said something, and I'm definitely curious about it because A, I want to thank whoever it is that's promoting us, and then B, I just want to know where you guys are coming from. Like One day I woke up, and there's a bunch of you little gremlins in our place running around doing shit. Where do, who fed you? Obviously, someone exposed you to water, and then someone's feeding you guys after midnight, right? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm pumped about it. I'm excited about it. It's the energy that... You know, there's something so great about working so hard to do quality content. And that's what I've been doing lately for the show. You guys have liked the prior episodes. Uh, the Chris Candy episode um, just destroyed uh, last week's episode with Cedric. The Kate director, the guy directed Kate. And then the Werewolves Within um, director as well, Josh. All that stuff has been doing really great. And I'm so happy that uh, you guys enjoy the show. I'm so happy that you guys have been writing reviews and communicating with me. And I just wanted to jump on here and spend a little time with you today. Do a little catch-up episode on a Thursday. Um, so let me know, where the fuck are you coming from? Right? Super cool, by the way. Um, also, uh, let's get into it a bit here. Uh, with some of the reviews for the show, I tell I continuously ask you guys to leave reviews for this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Now, I know not everybody is listening to the show on Apple Podcasts. I'm not saying that you need to listen to the show there. Uh, 
But uh, if you have an iPhone, you have the podcast app on your iPhone, just head on in there, type in our show and leave a review there because those reviews on Apple Podcasts affect our placement. For some reason, that's where it's affected by. It um, and that I don't think you can leave reviews on Spotify. I don't think you can leave reviews on Overcast. I don't think you can leave reviews anywhere else. Um, so let's see. We've got a couple new reviews this week. Hold on. Super easy to do. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Look up in love with the process by me, Mike Petchy. Scroll down past. I think it's like I don't know eight episodes, and you'll come to the review section. Um, there you can star the show, whatever you feel like we deserve. You know, I think I'm a five-star man, but maybe you don't. Um, And you can leave a review. And as promised, I'll read some of the reviews on the episode. Okay, here we go. Uh, Love the show. Five stars. Nice. Thank you so much. Very informative and thoughtful view on the film industry. Well, thank you, Val Songs. (laughs) I love these names. Uh, Another one. Late to the party. Five stars. Uh, the name of this person is this came out of nowhere. Great. Uh, when you're, hold on a sec. When you're an aspiring filmmaker, you're always on the lookout for good content to help further your skills and knowledge base. After listening to a single episode, I was hooked and immediately downloaded 15 to 20 back episodes. Hell yeah. So this is obviously one of the folks that has been listening to the show. Uh, Mike has curated not only an interesting podcast, but he brings an interesting and knowledgeable guests. Uh, Those conversations are some of my favorite episodes. Check out the Ryan Conley episode. I couldn't stop laughing. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's a great one. There's two Ryan Conley episodes, actually. Uh, And if you haven't heard those yet, uh, Ryan Conley is uh, the creator of Film Riot, um, which... Uh, amazing YouTube channel, very informative channel on like how to do specific things. Um, And uh, Ryan and I are buds. One of the things that he does so very well is that uh, through his uh, show, through Film Riot, he creates all these short films and goes through the process of walking you through how he does it. And they do some amazing work there. I think they're down in Texas. They they, They do amazing work down there. And, um, like he'll walk you through exactly how he puts these pieces together, exactly what's going on with it. Um, the funny thing about Ryan and I is that we both, without talking to each other, have made a very similar film. So we both have done the same kind of horror movie. Um, I think his is, what is his called? Is his The Knocking? He's going to hate me that I don't remember it. Hold on a second. Hold on, he's going to hate my ass. What an asshole. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Hold on. <laughs> uh, but uh, mine, mine, of, <laughs> mine is called, mine is called, uh, I can't even type because I'm laughing so hard at this. Mine's called Who's There? And he made another movie about a, a knocking on a door. <laughs> and at the same time, and uh, hold on, I just got to get it right. I feel like such an asshole for that. Oh my God, where is it, Ryan? <laughs> there comes a knocking. There it is. There comes a knocking. So yeah, he also did a movie about knocking as well, a horror movie. And <clears throat> if you go back, we've done two episodes together 
we did a prior episode uh, last year and we both laugh about that. And uh, this year we also talk about it as well. Um, both of us are kind of at the same points in our career as far as like we're both repped. We both have agents. We're both out there pitching to studios. Uh, and it's this game of like uh, trying to stay patient in the slow moving process of making a movie. <clears throat> so it's a great episode. Ryan's a great dude. I'm happy that you liked uh, the show. This came out of nowhere. Username, this came out of nowhere. Um, like I said, leave reviews for the podcast. Uh, we'll read them on the show. I always repost reviews. Uh, really nice stuff that you guys say on the Instagram account. Um, and there you can also uh, leave suggestions for the guests that uh, you want to have on the show. Uh, and we'll totally do that. And uh, this week, like I said, this week has been so great uh, to have, you know, our highest numbers possible. It just not only does it jazz me up and get me all excited, but it also jazzes up the folks that listens to the show. Here's a great example of one here. Let's see if I can play this. Hold on, hold on, hold on. The production value on today's episode is through the roof, everybody. Hold on. Stock's going up, baby. Yeah, they got electric direct now. The stock's going up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my buddy Lance leaving messages of, on our numbers saying that the stock of the show is going up. <laughs> Thanks, Lance. <laughs> um, yeah, very, very fucking excited. Um, I'll tell you what I'm not excited about, though. One of the other reasons why I'm on here sort of sitting down with you and doing a catch-up was that I was scheduled to do a rec recorded episode, remote recorded episode today. And fucking Zencaster. I'm telling you guys, I'm always bitching about Zencaster. I've been using them for multiple years now. Epic fucking fail today, Zencaster. Like, I am, I am just about actively, I'm, I'm ready to look for somebody else. Like epic fucking fail. Trying to record an episode and I had the whole thing fall apart today because of your website, because of whatever the fuck was going on at Zencaster today. I am not happy with you guys at all. I rescheduled the episode. It's a great guest. Uh, I want you guys to meet uh, him and I want you guys to hear about it. And I'm going to give you, because I think I'm going to record it on Monday. As long as everything goes right, we're going to try Zencaster again on Monday. If not, we're going to do Zoom recording. Um, but it's with uh, uh, writer Jeffrey Michael Bays, um, who wrote a book called Suspense with a Camera, A Filmmaker's Guide to Hitchcock's Techniques. He is a nerd about the visual language of cinema. You guys know that this is my rant consistently. Um, and uh, we started to dig into Hitchcock when fucking Zencaster went down today. So if you're listening, Zencaster, I know you might be. I'm, I'm losing my shit on you guys. I've had it. Um, so anyway, uh, let's see what else is going on. Uh, Halloween last week went well. I hope you guys uh, enjoyed the post that I did. Uh, I cannot help myself. Hey, look, you've heard me say it on the other episodes. This is one of the years that we didn't have one of our epic Halloween parties. And I kind of tried to really tried to dismiss it. Uh, I was like, yeah, it's not a big deal. I'll try to find something else to do. 
that day really bummed me out that I didn't have folks around. And, and of course, Gina and I were going to get together and just watch a bunch of horror movies and, you know, carve pumpkins, you know, which we still did. But uh, I started to light the house because this is what I love to do. I've got all of these great lights for movie lights. I've got, you know, a bunch of LED units from Quasar. I've got a bunch of LED units from ICANN. I've got a bunch of stuff sort of sitting around and I, I just can't help myself. You know, I ended up waking up early that morning and <laughs> uh, just putting lights outside my house and lighting up the space, uh, brought in the old fogger, the old hazer and uh, lit the place um, to feel like an old yellow movie from the 70s, you know, a little Suspiria. And it uh, worked out pretty good. One thing I learned about my house, though, is that it's super fucking drafty. I can't hold haze in here, which is super strange. Um, and there's a huge temperature change because it's, you know, it's chillier out here in Los Angeles. I'm not going to pretend like it's cold because it's not being from the East Coast, but it's chillier. It's like 60. Um, and so the haze was, it did this really cool thing. You'll see on one of the videos that is on uh, my Instagram, the haze sort of like settled mid-level. So it was like this mist and it was alive. It was pretty interesting to see. And I tried to capture that um, as well as the looks. A lot of you were writing to me asking like what I used to light the space. If you look at that clip on my Instagram clip, or on my Instagram account, Jesus, Michael, get it together. Uh, outside the two main windows behind the blinds, um, I had on each side a one-by-one one LED panel. Each one was gelled with steel blue. Um, and then inside the house, we are using these Chinese knockoffs of Philips, uh, you know, uh, dial-in light bulbs. I hate them. Gina uses them at the house. It fucking drives me crazy. If you don't shut them off right, they blink. But anyway, you can dial in different colors for them. And so we had two of those running at red. And uh, I also had a string of uh, red uh, Christmas tree lights that were strung around because we love to live in that. It's so funny. You come to our place. If you ever come and hang out with us, both Gina and I are photographers. Both of us love living in constant lighting. And so... We have the most dimly lit house. It's very difficult to read stuff after a certain time of day in the house. And so, yeah, we uh, used those units and uh, created the atmosphere uh, that you saw in that piece. Super easy to do. Took me about mm, 45 minutes and lit the space. Fun exercise. I love living in that space. I love being with it. Uh, when you do good lighting, for when, when, when you see like great contrast, great color contrast, it's just like, oh, it's like, having a plate with a really great steak on it. It's just so tasty to me. Um, so yeah, hope you guys dug that. And uh, let's see what else. Uh, oh yeah, I did a post about Squid Games, or Squid Game, rather. Um, and uh, a lot of you uh, it resonated with a lot of folks. And uh, I was just making an observation about it. Uh, that show has been touted as like the best thing that Netflix has ever done. Uh, the most popular thing that Netflix has ever done. Um, and, uh, I was concerned, uh, before I watched it because there's a lot of fucking hype and, um, I, I feel like my concerns were validated. I, I, let me just say this. I think the filmmakers are fantastic. 
And I think that the vision for the piece is great. I think the tone of the piece is phenomenal. Um, I wish that it was a feature. I wish that he had, because from what I understand, it was originally written as a feature film. And if I'm wrong, you can write to me, you can correct me on that. But from what I've read, it was originally a feature film script that he had a lot of trouble getting made. It took him like over 10 years to get this thing made. And luckily, there are streaming services out there that are, that are hungry for content, um, which enabled him to have this idea brought to life, which is really great. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, my note about it, and it's more of a note than anything else, is that I feel like we should just address, because a lot of folks like to say that with the advent of streaming services, it's it's like the golden age of content. And um, I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think streaming services are definitely changing the way our content is made and consumed for sure. Um, but I don't know, more often than not, I am kind of... Mm, I'm kind of seeing like a certain level of quality that's coming out lately with Netflix and with a lot of these streaming services. And I think when they first started, a lot of the stuff that was made uh, was was revolutionary. It was really great. You look at like House of Cards, you look at David Fincher's stuff, you look at Mindhunter, you look at a lot of the great uh, pieces that they put together and you're like, okay, these are quality, con this is quality content, really good stuff. And... Um, but then you look at the level of, of content that's being put out. And now that it isn't just for the US, it's for the entire planet. So you're, the benefit of that is you're actually getting different types of content that are built for other audiences, larger audiences than us, bigger demographics than we are, uh, which is also interesting to check out. Um, but the side effect of that, I think, is that a lot of these stories that as a filmmaker, I'm very desperate to get made. A lot of my peers are very desperate to get made and we're ultimately out there trying to find money to make these things. And taking a feature film to a streamer, I feel like is a scary thing because they're often just going, this is great, let's do it, but can we make this 12 episodes? Fucking Squid, Squid Game, those are hour-long episodes. So they've taken the content of what was a feature film script and drawn it out, drawn it out over, what is it, 11 hours? How many episodes are there? Like 11 of them, 10 of them? That's ridiculous. And you can see it when you're watching the show. You can feel it when you're watching the show. Where like, how slow are multiple episodes? How often do we just sit there and go, uh, okay, this is ramping up. I'm starting to feel the pace of this. It's all about the games. This is really great. And now we follow everybody back home. Okay, that's an interesting plot twist. But then we have to sort of sit in it for almost an entire episode. And you're like, oh my God, I don't care where these people go. I don't, that's not really making it for me. I think one of the sequences in the show that summed up what I'm talking about is when the older guy, right? And their group who, uh, spoiler alerts. Okay, if you guys haven't seen the show, spoiler alert. The older guy who's in the group uh, had re revealed prior to this that he has a growth in his brain. So he's got a brain tumor, right? And so there's this moment where they're all sitting around connecting as this group that's formed. 
and they're asking each other their names and they ask the old guy, what's your name? And he goes, my name? <laughs> then they cut to somebody else. They look at him and he goes back to him and he goes, my name? And they cut to somebody else. They look back and they cut back to him and he goes, my name is, they cut to somebody else. They do this interchange seven times. And I'm sitting there on the couch going, I know he's got a brain tumor for the love of God. Maybe one cut, maybe two cuts, but seven cuts. You guys are just drawing this out. You're drawing this out to fill for time. And this isn't a special thing with just Squid Game. All these series, all these shows feel so drawn out. And it isn't specific to Netflix. This is the side effect of streaming services. Because with streaming services, it's all about time. They value time. So they keep you on their service for as long as they possibly can. The move is to get you as addicted to this service as possible that you won't watch one of the competitor services. There's no mistake in the fact that before the credits roll, on that film you just watched, they start another one. They want you to stay completely enthralled with this stuff. That's the new thing. Prior to this, it used to be box office, right? Opening weekend. All about the first opening weekend. It's all about the excitement of that first opening weekend. Make sure you cram as many explosions in a trailer as you possibly can. Make sure you go through the process of doing all that. That was the move to make as much cast as possible. But it shifted now. It's now shifted to time. Time is the commodity. Time is what everything is worth right now. And how many, how many of these apps, how many of these services are struggling for your time? Whether you're talking about this right now, how much time are you taking just to listen to me talk about this? How very meta is this right now, right? Podcast services, uh, television streaming services, uh, fucking apps, Instagram. All these places, they're just struggling for time. And so being somebody who creates stuff, being somebody who tries to put things together, I find this stuff to be very dangerous because I am losing time. And so if I'm going to sit down to watch something, and this is a consistent argument that I have with Gina all the time because I don't know if she necessarily cares enough about it or cares the same way I do about it. And I think it pisses her off when I bring it up. And it may be pissing you off as I bring this up. But I get frustrated if I watch something and I feel like it starts to draw itself out. And there are so many series right now that I started. Why the Last Man? Uh, I started um, the one on Apple, the Asimov one on Apple. Uh, what the fuck is that one called? Not I, Robot. It's going to come right to me. Revelation fuck is the name of that show foundation foundation um a bunch of these programs and i they the, the formula is there on each and every one of them they hook you with the first episode normally they'll hire a director that is from cinema somewhere from film somewhere to come in and set the tone set the atmosphere and maybe that director will will do one episode maybe two episodes and then he's out or she's out. And then it's replaced by all the same television directors, folks that have done uh, episodes of The Walking Dead. Talk about another time suck. Episodes of The Walking Dead, episodes of Atlanta, all these different shows. Th these television directors come in and try to work within the tone set by the showrunner. 
um, and by the first director that comes in and sets that tone. So it's like, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of comic books. And it reminds me of Image, when Image started in the 90s. There were a a bunch of really great fucking books that came out. Books that were uh, drawn by like Jim Lee, by some of the best artists. And these artists knew how to do amazing covers. These artists knew how to do incredibly dynamic books. It was the whole reason why we jumped to Image. And it also happens in DC. It happens everywhere. And so they hire the big name uh, writers or the big name uh, artists to come in to do it because it's a visual medium. And you get about, if you're lucky, 10 10 issues, 11 issues, 12 issues into the book. And suddenly that artist is just doing the cover. And you open up that book and you're like, what is this lame art? Who's this artist that doesn't live up to what it is that I subscribe to? Or even worse, there are these artists that are desperately trying to replicate the work of the larger artist that's doing those books. And you're seeing this a lot with directing right now where you're hired because you have the ability to replicate, very closely replicate the work of the, the, the director that set the show or even in filmmaking. So like everybody's, everybody's all over Fincher's nuts with everything that he's doing. And so how good are you at replicating David Fincher's stuff? Uh, Gina just watched this trash show. I can't even, a trash movie last night. I'm not going to remember the name of it, but man, they wish they were Fincher. All the way down to the score. It's like, it's like they tried to call uh, Trent Reznor and he just didn't re- respond to their calls. And so they just temp tracked the entire sh- movie with like Gone Girl score. And then they hired some poor composer to come in and desperately try to replicate that. And you're just seeing this everywhere. And so what am I bitching about? Am I bitching that these services exist? No. Am I bitching at, uh, you know, the fact that we have all this content? Maybe. Maybe I'm slightly sort of headed in that direction because now the question is, is quantity better than quality? That comes back to my initial question. Quality versus quantity, right? And... You start to look at these shows and you look at Squid Games, right? The most successful uh, series on Netflix. We have to take their word for it because these streaming services hold on to their statistics uh, lock and key with an iron fist because that that is what all these apps, that is what all these things are built there for, is for tracking statistics. So they're gonna hold on to those statistics but there was a leak about a lot of stuff, supposedly. And so it turns out that Squid Games is, what are they saying? Someone was saying, here, let me see if I can find it. Squid Game will generate nearly 900 million for Netflix, despite costing only 21 million to make, reports say. This is on Business Insider on their website. Let me just say that again. Squid Game will generate nearly 900 million for Netflix, despite costing only 21 million to make. 21 million to make, which is insane. There was another article that I was reading where everybody was saying that the director of the show must be rich, must be wealthy. And his comment back was, no, I don't get a bonus. I don't get an additional bonus for this. The show only costs 21 million to make. And you go, 
oh, wow, it's 21 million. That's a lot of money. If there are 10 episodes of the show, that's $2 million an episode, $2 million for an hour of content. Right? And if you look at... Um, there's another really interesting thing on Business Insider here. Netflix reportedly spent $21 million on Squid Game. It's all-time biggest hits. Here's how it compares to the other show budgets. Okay. This is fascinating. Scrolling down here. Uh, Squid Game was the biggest hit series ever with uh, 111 million member households watching, watching it since its debut. Uh, the streamer's second biggest series since Bridgerton, which was watched by 82. Uh, Netflix is investing heavily in the show's home country of South Korea, committing $500 million to the region that year, according to Variety. Uh, okay, but at nine episodes, Squid Game, nine episodes, Netflix, cost Netflix about $2.4 million per episode, okay? Which is a much smaller sum than many of the company's other shows. Uh, Stranger Things and The Crown cost $8 million to $10 million dollars an episode, um, which is uh, reports from Variety. Uh, Stranger Things season three is Netflix's sixth biggest launch and no season of The Crown is in the top 10, although the season one for this drama. Disney plus and Marvel shows like WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier have movie-sized price tags costing as much as $25 million per episode. Of course they do. They look like they cost $25 million per episode, not to mention the fact that the big draw for those shows are the celebrities, the actors that are coming from the franchises, and you bet your ass they're asking for a big price tag to do that crossover. Uh, the first season of the Star Wars series, The Mandalorian, had a budget of $15 million per episode, um, which would price the entire eight-episode season at $120 million. Okay, so as we talk about this stuff, there's a lot of things that come to mind, right? One, in our, in this current business plan or in this current business strategy of the streaming services, which Netflix uh, got everybody really attached to by dropping entire seasons, right? Binging, binging a series, binging a show. So they drop the entire run of, you know, House of Cards, which was, revolutionary because prior to that uh it would take you time to do each episode and the actors would get a break and you'd do a bit and and uh you'd you know shoot uh, a show or two every couple weeks and then try to stay ahead of the release schedule for these shows uh if you want to know more about this i've had multiple tv directors on the podcast go back go into in love with the and click on our directors section and uh, Leslie uh, talks about it, uh, a bunch of the DPs. I've had the DP from, um, uh, oh my God, Jesus Christ, Michael. See, this is what happens when your brain shuts down. Um, not the vast, what was the sci-fi show? Oh, the Expanse. I've had the DP from The Expanse on the show as well talking about it. Um, so the side effect of the binging and the side effect of having to create all this content and keep us interested and involved is the productions are ridiculous. So you suddenly have, 
you know, 800 pages. And so when you start to strap a price tag of like 24 million on 800 pages, that's the price of a, of a mid-level film. When you go to the cinema, that's the price of a mid-level film. And when you start to budget things out, if you're listening to the show and you work in the industry, and if you're someone that puts together music video budgets or production budgets, you understand at some point that there's a baseline cost for things, right? How many hours am I having crew work on set? Can I go into overtime? Can I not go into overtime? Not to mention having to make deadlines, not to mention having to get the entire season of a show recorded. Um, and I'm sure like the first season, there isn't as much stress as season two because now the audience is completely rabid for season two. So you have to get that entire thing put together. Um, and so uh, you start to have these bottle episodes. You start to have these bits within episodes where they're reusing the same locations, where they have a shot set up. And it's like, well, why don't we just have these actors talk a little bit longer? <laughs> why don't we just, you know, what, would, what do they have for breakfast today? Where did they come from today? And so you start to see these things drawn out and stretched out, not because it's necessarily giving you great content, but just because it's keeping you watching that content longer. And this sort of circles around the IATSE strikes, right? His Here's a prime example of it, is that uh, these shows aren't paying what you would pay to have an hour and a half long movie made, but they still want the same level of quality. They still want that, that look. They want you to think that you're sitting and watching a movie, which I like, I think that's really great. But when you start to see that um, play out practically, Something's got to give somewhere, right? And we're hearing about it. We're hearing about these shows, you know, skimping on how much they're going to pay their crew, skimping out on whether or not they're going to pay benefits and how much they're paying for benefits and whether or not they're, they're dealing with this stuff. And then you have the crew smartening up and reading the same articles that I'm reading where they paid, you know, 20 something million for an entire season that's going to make them 900 million, right? So then it starts to get a little weird. And I'm not demonizing anybody. I'm just bringing it up. You know, like would I, I would love to put together, I, I would love to do a movie, like a feature that Netflix financed and I put out a feature. And there's a lot of great features that they've done. I posted about that last week. Apostle, really great fucking movie. The Ritual, really great fucking feature. Um, what was the one with Helmsworth? Uh, I think they're making a sequel to that one. That one was destroyed. Hold on. This is what happens when I was doing another episode and I didn't prep this one. Oh, Extraction. Yeah. That one was great. I thought that was such a great action film. Really cool stuff. Um, Sam uh, Hargrave killed it. Stunt guy turned director, stunt coordinator turned director, murdered that one. And they're making a second one. Um, so they do really great stuff. I think where I start to get fatigued is A, with the marketing and B, with, you know, 
just the drawn out stuff. And if it was just its own marketplace, then I'd go, okay, whatever, man, it's not for me. But the streaming services are affecting cinema and they're affecting the financing of cinema. They're affecting how these things are written and they're affecting all that stuff because everybody's chasing, I hate to say it again, but you know, our business is about wealth and greed. Everybody's chasing that profit range. I mean, how could you, it's like hunting for a fucking scratch ticket, you know? The, the, the fucking, the profit margin from 24 million to like 900. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. So I don't know. I, I posted about just the length of stuff and you guys, a lot of you guys really agreed. I There's a lot of really good uh, contradictory or, or, or counterparts to the whole conversation that I had where people were like, look, I feel like I am more involved and more invested with the character when I can spend this much time with the character. I get that. There is the living and breathing in the same space with a character. I completely understand that stuff. I enjoy a lot of that stuff for characters that I like, but I have to also ask like, is it that way because you like to get lost in programming and if that's the case then then you are the demo for it and that makes sense right because a lot of us like life sucks right now and it doesn't like outwardly suck like we're not being drafted for war but we're all dealing with some sort of crazy depression we're dealing with the, the long-term effects and the aftermath of having our lives ripped out from underneath us for over a year you know and uh we've all responded in very crazy, chaotic, and emotional ways with everything that has happened since the lockdown, since the pandemic. Um, and so, you know, escapism is a big part of it. And, you know, maybe this is just me being bitter because a lot of the movies that I like, a lot of the content that I like, isn't necessarily being made because I am so far out of the demographic at this point. So maybe I just get really irritated with stuff. You know, and maybe this is just very personal. Maybe I'm just frustrated every time Gina's like, hey, you want to watch the show? And I watch the ad or the promo for it or even like the first five minutes of the episode. And I go, oh, I don't want to watch the show. And she gets mad at me. Well, you just don't give it a chance. And I go, okay. And then we get like two episodes into it. And I go, I still don't want to watch this show. And she's like, I just don't understand why you're no fun. <laughs> and maybe that's what it is. Maybe I'm just no fucking fun. And maybe all of you guys that are listening to this are like, Mike, just go with it, man. Just just get on the get on the train, dude. You know, we're all fucking happy. We're not thinking about our shit. Not thinking about how crazy the world is and how there is no more unemployment and how I'm not getting any jobs. Or not thinking about like whether or not people pay attention to me and whether or not because I come from a specific demographic, I'm being judged. I don't want to think about any of that stuff, even though I want to watch a lot of shows that talk about that stuff religiously and consistently and continue to fucking feed off of my, uh, you know, anxiety around that, you know, but beyond that, you know, we want to escape and uh, shut the fuck up, dude. All right. Maybe I will. I don't know. It's, it's hard for me because I want to make movies. I want to do these things. And when we pitch, when we go and we make these things and we push for these things, all this stuff comes into play. And like anything else, 
folks are chasing people that pay for things, people that make money have to make money to invest in other things and also pay for boats and airplanes and all sorts of other interesting things, but they have to make that loot. And so, you know, they're chasing trends, right? That's what everybody does. And so the trends right now are to make longer, drawn out pieces that keep us plugged in. And uh, I really want uh, that short stuff to come back. And you know what? I mean, it is a two-part film, but I'm happy with Dune. I'm super excited that Dune was made. I think Denis is a genius. I don't say that often because I don't believe in genius filmmakers. I just think he's a very smart, very in-tuned filmmaker. And he understands his audience. He understands his craft, his love of the craft. And he makes beautiful films. And uh, it was heartbreaking that uh, because, I think essentially because of advertising, uh, the Blade Runner was not a success. Um, But I'm so happy that people recognize the folks that finance recognize his talent um, and the ability that he has to make beautiful epic cinematic experiences and if you haven't seen dune yet go see in the theater if you've seen dune watch it again uh that movie is loaded loaded with so many beautiful uh examples of what you can do with cinema um and so it does exist. There's a lot of really great stuff out. This is actually a really good time for movies. I'm excited. I, I still haven't seen Last Night in Soho. Very excited to see that. Antlers is on my list. want to see Antlers. I almost went and I saw Halloween 2 the other day. I don't know how I'm feeling about it. Maybe. Let me know what you guys thought. I know a bunch of you saw it. Tell me whether or not I should see it. Drop me a message on Instagram. Let me know. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of great movies out. So I'm not bitching. I'm just expressing my observations with what's happening in the industry right now and sort of expressing my concerns with what's happening. Because if we don't talk about it, then it's not in the consciousness. And then I just feel like, you know, that mouse in a maze with all the rest of you that are just like, do I smell cheese? Hmm. (laughs) We're just sort of like mindlessly wandering around. And uh, at the end of the day, I don't like it when the artists have no say, you know? So anyway, I don't know. That was just a rant. Hopefully it's uh, constructive and not destructive. Um, But anyway, thanks everybody for uh, listening to the show and a big welcome to all the new listeners. Um, Big shout out. And don't forget, let me know how you heard about this show. How'd you hear about this show? If you guys are listeners in Canada, how'd you get tuned in? Because I'm I'm watching you. I see those numbers. There's a big group of of you from Canada that are now fans of In Love With The Process. So thank you, everybody. Uh, That's it. Let me wrap this up. Let me play a track here. There we go. That's the final bit for today's little catch-up. I will see you all next Tuesday with a brand new episode. Very excited about it. Uh, I'm not even going to tease it. Stand by. Make sure you subscribe on whatever podcast delivery system you listen to. And I'll see you next week.